This episode is brought to you by Text Expander. In our fast-paced world, things are constantly changing, and errors in messaging can have significant consequences. Text Expander lets you make new approved messages available to every team member instantly with just a few keystrokes, ensuring your team remains consistent, current, and accurate. You can get messages right every time because Text Expander corrects your spelling and keeps your language consistent with just a few keystrokes. Your team members will consistently know the right messaging for the right person at the right time without relying on memory or cut and paste. And as a listener of the One Thing Podcast, you get 20% off your first year. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast for 20% off your first year. This is The One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. During the pandemic, we all had to normalize how to work remotely. Yet now that we are emerging from the pandemic, companies are in the position where they're having to ask the question, what is our future of work strategy going to look like? And the person you're going to meet today is going to say, it's time to actually make the decision. Are we going back to the office full-time? Are we going to play a hybrid role? Or are we going to go fully virtual? Today's episode is really going to press you to ask, are we being as clear as we can be when it comes to what our strategy is going forward? Because as you're going to hear, a study by McKinsey says that roughly 30% of people don't feel that their leaders are being clear enough. So today is an opportunity to walk you through some things you as a leader should be considering regarding what that future is going to look like, how you as an individual can thrive virtually, how as an organization you can thrive virtually. The reason it ties so well with the one thing is our guest today is going to share a lot of inside information about what that can look like. If you do choose to make virtual part of your strategy, you're going to encounter some challenges. How do we make sure people are clear on the goals of the organization? If we can no longer just walk out of our offices and tap people on their shoulder, how do we make sure people are focusing on the things that actually matter most? How do we actually hold people accountable when we're not together? These are all the models and systems behind the one thing that solve all of those challenges. So if you're trying to work that out, we're happy to have a call and engage with you just to walk you through what that could look like. Just go to the onething.com slash teams. That's the onething.com with the number one in the URL, the onething.com slash teams. And we can walk you through how we help you grow your business, leveraging the principles and the models of the one thing. With that, let's get into this conversation with author of the book, How to Thrive in the Virtual World. Workplace, Robert Glazer. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. 
Robert, excited to have this conversation. I'm curious, you decided to take your company virtual over a decade ago. What was going on in your world that led to that happening? Yeah, I wish I could say that I had incredible foresight, but I just had a big pain <laughs> that I was trying to solve. And that is, you know, we were uh, a, a sort of high-end agency in this industry called affiliate marketing that was just very niche. And the talent was all over the US. And as we thought about how are we going to get senior people to fill these roles, uh, the talent was everywhere. And so we decided we would go virtual. And this is before there were really any of the tools to do this as uh, to get the people that we needed to solve the business problem, thinking that someday we'd grow up and move into offices. And and actually what we... It's, it's funny, I would get asked for years to speak at conferences on going remote. And this was about people living a nomadic style. And I like, we just actually like, the combination of high flexibility, high accountability. We, everyone really enjoyed the flexibility. I think it was less about working remote and more about that kind of flexibility and being accountable. Uh, and soon we were like, all right, well, how do then if we don't want to go into offices, then then how do we scale this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What were some of the questions that you had to ask yourself when you were considering making that decision? Yeah, I, I um, you know what type of company do we want to build? How did people need to see each other? Um, you know, how would that impact the sort of team dynamic again for the type of culture that we wanted to build? And this again, but this is if you're talking 14 years ago, like Slack didn't exist, Zoom didn't exist, a lot of these tools. Uh, there were some things that we did, you know, we, a professional services firm, I think it's a little bit almost like the military in that like there's an ethos you train, but you kind of work with your unit. Right, like your six or eight people, and and those people actually would see each other a lot. They would go to clients, they would go to conferences, and pretty early in our life cycle, we all implemented this all company meeting that actually, at like four days a year, kind of a retreat that grew the organization until we hit COVID and have had to go virtual. We bring in everyone all over the world and really try to go deep uh, those four days. Um, one of the other things that we did differently, and this is more prescient now, is we adopted this hub strategy. As we were building the company, we realized. And we're trying to get people together that logistically, and now there's more reasons not to do this legally and, and otherwise, but if everyone was everywhere, it was going to be really hard for us to do that. So we actually picked targeted cities. And while you didn't have to work into an office, you had to be in one of these regions. And it let up build, us build sort of concentrations of people that let us do hiring and activities and have like more... We will... We, we'll, Two weeks ago, our president flew to all the hub cities. So he touched pretty much the entire company in in two weeks uh, in a series of meetings. And you said that is a good thing to consider or not so much anymore? No, I, I, it's a great thing. to So I say we, 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 we did it from a cultural standpoint uh, doing it. I, I think now... You know, with everyone desperate for revenue, all the a lot of companies have told people they can work every anywhere. That is a logistical, legal, and financial nightmare for a lot of companies who don't who've told people is they don't realize what that actually means by having to register in certain states or countries. So or let, set up let, let's offices. dive into yeah. this because <laughs> yeah. the reason we're having this conversation is this is the question on so many. Yeah. Businesses' minds. What is our future of work going to look like? So, what are the things they need to consider if they were going to say, "Oh, we're going to do work from anywhere"? What are you some don't of the don't they- tell anyone they can work from anywhere. Most companies I've seen have said that have had to walk it back. So, there are a few things that you need to understand depending on the type of company you are. Let's pretend you're a re- a different states and different countries have laws. You can't just make people independent contractors in these places mm-hmm. and, and and get around the laws. 
I don't, people weren't looking for years, but now the states and countries and everyone are desperate for revenue and they're, they're looking. So look, if you hire a person in Illinois, you might have to register in Illinois. You got to get health plans in Illinois. You got to pay income tax in Illinois. Um, you might find it's hard to get benefits. If you are a retailer uh, and you have one person in a state in the US and you collect sales tax online, there's something called nexus law where you might actually now have to collect sales tax you know, from everyone in that state. So you have an employee that moves to London and work the business work uh, you know, for your company and there's not a real business reason, you might have to set up an entity and a pension and all this stuff in London. So um, I, I think that companies need to be really explicit about where people can, even if they want to give them that flexibility, where they can work and how they can work and understand you know, that this stuff can be an administrative uh, uh, nightmare. So we do not tell people they can work anywhere. Yeah, we've been navigating that as well. So the moment we took our <laughs> company not. virtual and figuring out, all right, I moved to Denver. We had to file. There was an employee in Illinois. We just hired somebody in California. I got all your examples. Don't hire anyone in California if you have that choice. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. We, we, we did. And we know what that means. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Having to understand, I thought it was just as simple as they can live wherever and realizing there's a lot more that comes with it. Yeah. And if you're a small company, it's a huge burden, right? If you're a large company with a big HR department, legal, finance, you know, these things may be easy. I think it's even smaller. It's harder in a small company. There's a concept called PEO or EOR, Employer of Record or Partial Employment Organization. These are companies that actually like go register in all these states and areas and, 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 and aggregate it for you. So if companies that want to... There are ways around this and there are ways to do it in compliance. It's just a lot harder to do afterwards. And by the way, if you're ever thinking about getting an investor or selling your company, these are the things that come up in due diligence that derail the whole deal. Finding out that you know, you've had an illegal group of uh, employees you know, in a state or something like that for, for years and you owe all these back taxes and stuff like that. So... Yeah. I, uh, like I said, people have been getting away with kind of actually breaking the laws on the books for a long time because no one has been looking. After a global recession and all the cities and towns and everyone desperate for revenue and people moving and jurisdictions losing revenue, everyone is looking at this now. Yeah. And and to be really clear, the what you could owe is not only back taxes, oh, but the yeah. penalties on it, they can almost double it, right? Double the, Double what you owe. Yeah, I, I was on a, a yes, and and look, talk about outside the U.S. I mean, there, there's this misclassification of not to get in the weeds of of you can't just tell someone they're an independent contractor, you know, for your business and work full time. There are certain tests of an independent contractor. These things exist in 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 the U.S. and other countries where you owe, can owe two or three times the wages um, to the people. And there's a story I shared in the book about almost derailed an IPO because they paid all the developers in PayPal. And for for years in Europe, and they went to go public, and the developers had them over a. They had to clean this up, and they had them over a barrel. And um, yeah, it can it can be pretty ugly. Yeah, absolutely. So, Robert, let's five to ten thousand feet. Why is us having this conversation right now so relevant? Yeah. So, look, we survived twenty twenty. I think most people went into having to do remote work it, without being prepared in non ideal circumstances. Uh, no training. The system's not set up, and they were like, "Wow, that kind of worked." better than we thought. And we've gotten through 2020. But now, like, you know, we're on the precipice of getting back to some version of, of normal. And, and, you know, the vast majority of companies really haven't declared or haven't made clear their post-pandemic work strategy. Some have. 
Like the investment banks have been pretty clear, like come back September 1st or October 1st, or you don't have a job. I actually, I don't agree with some of the companies who are saying sort of come back 100%, um, uh, you know, all or nothing. But I actually appreciate that they're clear about it. I think a lot of, you know, then there's the companies that are going fully remote. Um, and then there's this big swath of hybrid. Um, and, and the problem with hybrid is that it really needs to be a strategy, not the absence of a strategy. And I think a lot of people are choosing kind of hybrid without being clear what the rules of engagement are and how they're going to support it. And, and the data, you know, McKinsey did something recently. It said like 40% of the companies haven't really declared their strategy and 30% communication was so vague that the employees didn't really understand what it was. And so as much as we've seen this great resignation, a lot of turnover, I think there's a whole next group waiting to know whether they want to go back to their job or or whether they'll be able to, like I said, they lived in New York and they moved to Vermont and they're going to have to be called back in. So I, I, I really think we're past the point now where company leaders need to put a stake in the ground, start to declare what their version looks like and be super explicit or they're going to have, I think, a mess on their hands of like, we're doing this here and this there and different rules. So, so I did, I, I did a, a webinar last week. And, and one of the questions someone asked is a great example. They said, look, I work for this nonprofit and everyone in New York City has to be in the office, but we've started hiring people fully remote in other part of the country. And it's upsetting people in New York. And, and, and so, and I said, well, I, I, let me ask you, like, is there something about those New York people? Are they in development? They need to connect locally? Because if they don't, then I can understand why that's a mess. That's a really mixed message to say that, hey, everyone, is it based on the work or based on the location? Everyone has to come into the office who is here, but now we're hiring fully remote people elsewhere. Like, This is the type of stuff that's really going to become problematic for companies. Right. And I can see how... As a leader of a company, you can say, all right, let's just do one thing at a time. Let's let's take our time over time. We'll figure it out. Everybody trust us. And I can also <laughs> see from an employee standpoint, draw a line in the sand. Tell us right, what it's right. going to Can I move? Like, I, I want to move two hours away. Can I move? Like, do I have right. to come into the office? Like, this is... I, I, the McKinsey study said it's causing a ton of anxiety and stress, not knowing what the rules of engagement are going to be kind of going forward for their workplace. And one of the things that you said to me before we hit record that really resonated with me, because we see this when we work with leaders inside of organizations about what their goals and priorities are. Yeah. Senior leadership thinks they are being clear about what success is. <laughs> but the the more you go down the chain of command, the clarity, it's not crystal clear clarity. It's about as clear as mud. Yeah. And it's an opportunity for us as leaders that even if we think we have communicated what the strategy is, to really test that and ask, have we been clear? We said we're going to be hybrid, but what does that mean? How would we know if we were successful? What is success and what is not success? Oh, you can work from anywhere. Is that actually true? Yeah. <laughs> right. A hybrid, a hi, like I said, a hybrid. Company picks hybrid and tells people they can work from anywhere. I can come up with a hundred questions that I think employees, you know, would like. Does that mean I can move to Barbados? Right. I, I mean, does that, there, there's so many things that are unclear. And look, the job of a leader is to is to. Pick, it's great to get feedback, right, and see what people want. My guess is you might get three totally different buckets of we want to go back in the office. I want flexibility or I want to get rid of the office. But then the leader's job is to make a decision whether whether it's popular or not and then and then support it. And and I think 
the failure to make a decision in these cases is is really where a lot of this is going to to start. I, I as I said, I've seen some companies, one mortgage company, who said, "Look, we're all in on the office, and here's why, and all this stuff." And and employees may not agree with that, but at least that company was super clear about what they're going to be doing going forward. What are some of the twenty percent things a leader who's listening to this podcast should consider? to make sure they're delivering 80% of the clarity. Yeah, so so I think the big questions let, let let's look back in the office is clear fully remote kind of clear we're not going to have an office. I I think a lot of the murkiness is around hybrid. So I I would say that if I was a leader I would be really clear where can people live? Where can they work? When and how are they expected in the office? And how am I going to create a cohesive, not we them culture, you know, and part of that may be the strategy. It could be that we're all in the office on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, right? Or it could be if I pick that you just have to be in the office fifty percent of the time because we think that's important. Then how do I make sure these people meet up? Mm-hmm. Um, just as an example, one CEO of a seventeen thousand person company I talked to. One of the things that they were going to do, they were going to use their offices more for the things that offices use best, so meetings or otherwise, but. If someone couldn't be in the meeting in the office, everyone was going to take it individually on their Zoom. So it wasn't like an us and them meeting. Like it wasn't like they're in the conference room and these two people are there. So any meetings from now on, you're going to take it individually, you know, if, if there are people remote, like really like thoughtful things like that in terms of, you know, what kind of culture that, that, that they want to build. And a lot and of when this. When you say us yeah. versus them, you mean us who are in the office versus them who's everywhere else. Right. The whole team. You've been on, have you ever been on one of these calls? You're the little thing on the corner of, of the room and there's 10 people in the conference room and you're kind of like, hey, oh, me. You know, you like, you feel very on the outside there. And so this, this CEO thought it was really important to eliminate that and sort of democratize meeting. I, I think that's the type of, this is an entire, this is like, 20 years ago, when do we go digital or not digital? This is an entirely different way of thinking about the workplace and like democratizing work. And it, it, and it requires some thought and some, some big bets. You've had a lot of practice refining your virtual approach to work. Yeah. What are some of the biggest mistakes that people make when they want to attempt to work virtually, whether that's full-time or hybrid? Yeah, I think not not supporting it. So if I think about all the things that we do that specifically support it, we have a first of all, we have a comprehensive onboarding program. Like we script out the every hour of the first two, three weeks of someone onboarding because you can't just show up at your computer and you know have nothing to do. In fact, that's one of those examples that I think great companies generally you show up and you might not tusk your desk for three weeks. They have a three-week rotation planned out for you, right? Like just kind of quality onboarding. I think making sure that people are set up with the right technology with the right equipment that they understand like you know that this isn't you shouldn't attempt to work and deliver childcare at the same time that you need to have a dedicated space helping people kind of set up their workspace so that both it is productive when they're working and that that it creates physical separation from the rest of their space and they're not dragging their office um, around the house so we see a lot of that i think intentionally you know, having the right support and communication tools. So we have like video libraries. We have because you know it is harder to just ask people a question. We have kind of on-demand knowledge management systems where there's answer to everything. There are video libraries. There's Slack. There's 
a series of meetings that make sense to connect with different parts of, of the group. So it's really building all of that fabric into the environment and saying like, we're, we need to support these things. And, and frankly, it's getting people together. You know, people have really struggled in the last 18 months. Our teams are finally getting together for the first 18 time in 18 months. And just because they're virtual or don't want to be in traffic for two hours a day does not mean they don't want to see their colleagues and interact with them and, and, and have that sense of connection. Yeah. I remember when we were discussing the idea of going fully remote, uh, my partner Jay asked me, he said, before you make the decision, I want you to consider one, what standards and expectations will you set around when we work? Yeah. What standards and expectations will you set around how we communicate with one another? And how will you go about creating and maintaining the culture you want and the type of connection when everybody is apart? Those, those were are, the three things he asked me. Those are those are excellent questions, <laughs> um, and, and, and right, I think. And then there's you know the, the the fourth I might add is just what what does success look like? What are the mm. key performance indicators? And I think we make those very public so that everyone knows the rules of the game. It's kind of like it's almost open sourced all the goals and objectives and everything for people to people to see, so that there's there's no question what success looks like next week or this quarter or at the end of the year. One of the things I'm curious about, I was I was chatting with somebody and they were saying, you know, when we were when we all worked in the office, you could really manage someone's activities. A lot of managers could they could go and see what their people were doing. Now that we've normalized working virtually, it's been a shift away from the activities and more toward the results. Being clear on what are the results that this person is going to deliver for the week and trusting that the person is actually able to deliver it. What are you experiencing with that? Yeah, so this is actually one of the number one things that came up with with executives and CEOs I interviewed for my book. And again, this is a foundation of a great culture in general. If you had two clients and one of your clients would, you know, was not very trusting, managed by looking at butts in seats, you know, was always focusing on inputs, there's no way that you would recommend that as a as a best class management, you know, practice. The best leaders in office or otherwise I always say, are you are you interested in the salesperson who makes a hundred calls a day and sells a thousand, or the one that makes ten calls and sells ten thousand? Right. Everyone takes the latter, you know, every day of the week and and and, and twice on Sunday. So, uh, you know, I, I think this has been something that a lot of people struggle with as they move into leadership, and it's just been more pronounced. Which is, you should have clear outcome oriented metrics like we have in sales that you're measuring people by. You should be really clear about the objectives up front. You should have good communication and good delegation. And you should never be managing someone by their sort of input time. Input is the worst form of management. You know, I'll get on the salesperson. If I find that the salesperson's not selling anything, then I might look at their inputs and being like, dude, you're not making any calls. Of course you're not, you know, selling anything. But I don't want to manage them to their calls as a first level objective. I want to manage them to their outcomes. So I this is actually forcing companies who realizing they had an entire set of input-oriented metrics to move towards a more outcome orientation, which frankly, if they're working in the office full-time, they should be doing anyway. Yeah. What's kind of interesting is we saw this the moment that the pandemic hit. Our, our corporate business exploded because yeah. companies were saying, we're not clear on what our priorities are and we don't know how to make sure our people have clarity and we don't know how to hold them accountable if we can't walk <laughs> over and tap them on the shoulder. Here's what's interesting. Wow, it's a yeah. <laughs> shift from input to outcome. For the individual employee who is wherever they are, 
they have to be able to individually identify the activities that they can take to drive the results. Here's the problem. Most people don't know how to work backwards from a result to identify the activities they need to take. Yeah. And look, this is this is incumbent upon leaders to to design this. Also, you know, we know our new leaders really struggle with delegation, right? They get they get help and the first thing they do is give them a bunch of projects and don't spend twice as much time clarifying what they need up front um, and explaining it. But that but that's a leader's job. You know, let's go to sales. Like the leader would say, look, I'm looking for X amount of revenue. You know, the process is you make calls, you follow up. The key indicators are phone calls, conversions, this. Otherwise, he, here's how we think about the ladder on this. You know, we've we've had to define those those outcome metrics. You know, for a lot of our, our our roles, and yeah, it doesn't it doesn't mean they're easy. And and there should be a lot of communication around this. And look, there may be some work to get it started and to, and to do that. But um, yeah, measuring people by when they come in the office and when they leave is, 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 not, a, is not a great metric. And, and look, who's struggling the most? You know, it's micromanaging leaders are struggling the most in this environment because yeah. they, wanna, they wanna jump in and save their employees and get involved. And like, that's not anything anyone wants anyway or should do. No, people wanna feel like they have clarity on what success is. They wanna feel like they have ownership and agency over their role. Period. Yeah, I think Dan Dan Pink nailed it in in, in Drive. Uh, you know, it's um, what is it? Ma- now I'm gonna get it wrong. Mastery. Uh, there's the three things that everyone wants, sort of for intrinsic motivation, which is really about like autonomy, mastery, and purpose. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I lo- love that. So, in your book, How to Thrive in the Virtual Workplace, talk to the individual out there. What are some of the twenty percent things they can do to thrive individually in a virtual environment? Yeah. So um, the reverse is like get a good setup. So get get a. This is really simple, but you also may have this. You know, you got kids at home. You got you know, the very different. You're making sales front presentations. Check your internet speed. You know, the the down the upload is usually one quarter of the marketed download. You know, maybe time for a little bit of an upgrade to make things move faster. You know, get a fifty dollar clip on higher resolution camera, a dedicated microphone. I realize you can't see me, but I'm holding it up. You know, a ring light, things that make I have a you're seeing my fake office background here because I have a green screen. You know, this is like a hundred that's not real. No, it's not real. It's a hundred and fifty dollar setup that just you know, if I am selling something or I'm speaking on a 200 person company call like I did today, like it's very different than seeing me in my kitchen with a cat, you know, running around in in the background. So get 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 yourself. Uh, I wouldn't have a cat running around in the background anyway. Get, I've seen a lot of cats during COVID though. Get get yourself. Uh, I'm a dog person. Get yourself set up um, professionally. Carve out a space. I really think there is this. Clark Kent Superman psychology thing where you need to transition in your house. You need if you drag your computer around to your bed and your desk or whatever, you're just bringing the office everywhere you go. So you need your workspace, and then you need to leave your workspace and be in your house since it is physically uh, under the same roof. And the boundaries are really important to people. Two two other quick things: I think people are missing the morning commute and the afternoon commute. Like, don't jump out of leave your phone downstairs. I'm loaded. Get up in the morning, make your coffee, your tea, read the paper, do your journal, do whatever, you know, read your one thing book, like have your morning routine before you turn that stuff on, because then you're just basically being whisked into the office. And I learned this two years ago. Like I need, we don't miss the commute, but there was something to the unwinding at 5.30 to 6 o'clock. It was a transition. 
transition. It's really important. Like I'd I get to the dinner table after five hours Zoom calls, and my kids are all screaming, and I'd be like, I'm not. So I, you know, I go for a walk, bike ride, I don't know, something podcast, you know, get some exercise, meditate. I, I think those transitions are important. And then and then one last thing, and then follow up. It's important to be reliable. I, I you know, I, I think that just because you're working from home, if I, we operate on sort of the same in-office rule. If you're going to get a coffee, if you're going to the bathroom, like I don't need to know about it. But if it's a work day and you disappear for two hours, you should tell someone that. I think once they start to question your availability or your reliability, it's a hard thing to get back. Mm. So like I think the I, I think the companies should give trust first. But I also think it it never hurts to just say to people, hey, you know what? Um Again, they shouldn't care. I'm picking up my kid this afternoon. Or it, if they expect you to be available and you're always kind of can't be found, I think that trust breaks down quickly. That's interesting because again, it's what are your? It's the question Jay asked me. What are your standards and expectations around? Yes, when you're available and and how you're going to communicate. And when I think about it, yeah, when we're in an office, we would say, "I'm about to go into a time block for." The next hour, if you need anything, hold it. Or hey, I'm about to step out. I've got a doctor's appointment. You would just communicate it. And right. how simple is it just to take that into a Slack message or a Teams message just to manage the expectation? I ha- I hadn't thought about what happens if pe- people begin to question your. Oh yeah, it it it's it's not yeah. It, it, like we say, like we have an absolute environment of giving trust first. But once trust is broken, it's hard to rebuild. And just as you said, you don't have to ask for permission. You need to go to the doctor, you need to pick up your kid, like all this stuff. It's all part of our flexible environment. But like it doesn't mean you can't tell someone. Um and you know, we were looking at an exit interview, a piece of feedback that we got, oh, my manager is it's interesting a two-way street. Like they're always on about my time or where I am. And 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 that is not the case. And I almost can guarantee you in this case that this person was not findable a few times, and then it it, it it spiraled into a you know where 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 are you? Um, I actually there's something in my team I get annoyed because I, I I appreciate it, but I get annoyed that they're always like I'm going to here, I'm going. To, I'm like yeah, you can go. I'm not, it, it, but but they they actually do it out of respect to so let me know like I'm going to be at the doctor's for a couple hours. Like if yeah. you need me, um, and, and and I think that's a just those people are never the people that you can't find. Um, you know, they're, they're reliable. So I want to summarize, because for you as an individual to thrive, if you're going to play a virtual role moving forward, whether that's full-time or hybrid one, does your environment support your goals? It's the number one thief of productivity that people's environment does not support their goals. And when the pandemic first hit, being at your dinner table was totally acceptable and it's become more permanent now. So to really ask the question, where is that bunker, that place that I can design to support me focusing on the things that matter most? Second thing I heard you talking about, Robert, was just the tech setup. Like having a decent, like a $15 light off of Amazon that gives good lighting. I mean, the number one comment I get when I get on a call with a company, they comment on my microphone. Yeah, you have you have the same one I do. The ATR. This is the yeah. best value. I've tried the three hundred dollar ones. It's like a hundred dollars, and it's and it's really good. Yeah, the and microphone. Have, if if you go to Amazon, yeah. it's ATR twenty one hundred. ATR twenty one hundred. It's about a hundred bucks, and it just one. You sound amazing, but it just makes you look professional. Yeah. <laughs> and then I love what you said about the background. I mean, you have a green screen. This is my legit background, but actually design. What is something that people will want to look at? 
Yeah, I mean, think about it. Look, we have two standards. We have, and a lot of this was waived during COVID, but we have an intercompany standard, which is if you got off your Peloton, you jump into a company meeting, no one cares, right? But but if you're making a million dollar sales pitch, you're talking to a client, like they that's not what they want to see. <laughs> it's not the perception of you you looking like you you know you know can't breathe uh, and 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 all sweaty. Like it it, it is. Like I said, there, I think there was a large exemption and understanding for kids running around, all that stuff. I, I think now going forward, it'll go back to, uh, again, a, a professional conversation should look professional. Um, particularly those of you people who are interviewing. Like if I'm interviewing someone for remote work and they are in a dark dungeon with internet that I can't hear and, and, and a role where you're going to sell or present, like it's not going to make a great first impression. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Now talk about the organizational side for the leaders who are asking the question, okay, how do we thrive as a remote organization, whether that's full-time or hybrid? What are some of the things that they need to consider? Yeah, so I think there's put the stake in the ground, (laughs) pick the strategy, and then how are you going to support that strategy? How are you going to allocate resources? If you're you're not going to have the office, are you going to have a a tech reimbursement fund? Are you going to have certain standards you're going to put out there saying, you know what, you need asynchronous 100 megabit internet. You need a less than two-year-old laptop with two gigahertz processor. And and we're going to give you $2,000 a year to cover all this stuff. We recommend a a standing desk or a second monitor or things that we have productive. So so help them get to that environment. And then I think, again, it, it is more about supporting whatever those processes and systems are. So if you decide that you're two days in and two days out, what's that going to look like? Do you have training organized around that? I would strongly revisit your onboarding if you're going to have people starting you know, remotely. Um, I would also strongly try to answer all those questions up front. Like, where can I work? Where can I work? You know, Another thing that comes up, this was on another discussion I was having with someone around... Um, you know, does it mean that you can vagabond around the world and travel? And I, I don't think, you know, I, 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 and I, you know, our, our example is like, look, the business fundamentals come first. So, like, if you have clients in the East Coast hours, if you want to go somewhere for the month and you want to work those hours and then you want to use the time at, the, at that place, you know, on, on the weekends or the mornings, or you want to go to Europe and have your mornings and work the night hours and have the weekends and be there, that's great because you're not asking everyone else to reorient around you. But if you're on a you know chuck wagon in the, in the great outdoors somewhere trying to use like your cell phone and drop it in and out of calls, like that's probably not going to work. So I, I, I think that it, it's fine to change venues and locations. I think this is where, again, Companies need to be specific on the policy. This is our viewpoint. It's fine to change venues and locations, but you need to be set up to work and to be available in those locations. Yeah. A question that I just thought of that you could consider asking yourself is, how could this fail? Yeah. Journal your answers. Come up with as many as you can, then review them and ask which of these are the 20% failures that would drive 80% of the impact and come up with solutions to those to start and then move on. And just as an example, uh, one of the kind of case studies from the book, we had someone who went and spent some time in Asia to help us launch our Asia business. He was traveling around. Every place he researched, he made sure that there was a hostel with a work center with dedicated internet, the hours that he'd be able to access it, that he would have that. Like He went through a fair amount of work to make sure that he would be set up productively to work, not just going and hoping for the best. Uh, And so I think, right, this is two parts. This is both... 
the employee taking that seriously, and then as you said before, the employer setting those expectations. There's probably a hundred questions that we could come up with that that could be answered around in a flexible work environment. Like, what are the standards and how would this work? So again, if you if you're coming to work for Acceleration Partners, we would say, look, here's the type of office setup we would like you to have. Yes, we have flexibility and you can move you know around. However, you need to operate in your sort of home time zone. Here are the specific you're hired into your state or your home. Uh, uh, hub territory. If you move, we need to know that. You can't just move without us letting you know because, again, we may have to change registrations or we may have uh, otherwise. Um, here, you know, here's what it looks like for time that you can spend away. No, we don't, you know, cover your visas and stuff to go to Australia if there's no business reason to do that. And, 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 and so I, I don't mean it doesn't sound draconian, but we're actually very specific around like what you can do and what you can't do and with a ton of flexibility. But the flexibility is all around, you know, meeting the client's objectives, hitting our performance objectives, and, you know, being responsible about what you're being asked to do. The more that you show that you are able to do that, the higher your trust and flexibility level with the organization goes. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I want to talk about the boundaries and the transitions because this was, it was Huge one of the point. most common yeah. themes that I heard after people had been normalized working remotely. They felt like the number of emails had gone through the roof. The number of meeting requests went through the roof. And they actually felt like they were, were working more hours because... Because they were. Because they were. <laughs> yeah. And there, was, and there were no boundaries. So, so yeah. what are some of the things people need to consider so that they can actually strike some work-life counterbalance? So there was a perception before the pandemic that people working home were slacking off. I think the data showed that they were actually working more, as you said, because they don't have the boundaries. So... Those transitions are important. Look, work or not work, if you live in a two-level home, leave your phone downstairs an hour or two before bed. Very few of us are in a life-saving industry, but you see something at 7 a.m., you see it at 10 p.m., you lose a night of sleep. I wish I would take this advice more often. I I don't have my phone in my room. I leave it downstairs. But there's some time where I saw something at 9 o'clock at night where I am writing the reply, an angry client or otherwise in my dream all night. And if I just had not seen it to the morning, I would have gotten... You know, ten hours of sleep. So, so mm-hmm. if you have if you have your phone on your night table and you roll over in the morning and look at it, there's going to be stuff to happen overnight, and it's not going to be great. But it's also not going to be life threatening. That is like being yanked in your pajamas into the office, and that's how you're starting your day. So, leave it downstairs, turn it off. You know, go to your goals checklist, morning routine. Otherwise, you know, and do that. Have that. Have that time at the end of the day. Have the dedicated space. The dedicated space also serves as a visual reminder to other people in your house that you're in your workspace or you're available because sometimes that that is hard for them. Um, and 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 you got to draw those 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 boundaries. Um, as you said, I think people are are working more because there's available. Another great kind of tip that I have, I would say, like if you're working out of hours because you want to, like for example, like I have a big time on Saturday morning where I tend to it's quiet. I'm up early. I kind of catch up on all the emails that I need to delete or otherwise, and I clean. And I like it. I have the, I sit outside. I have the coffee. Like it's good. But if I reply to someone's email on Saturday, then they think they need to respond to me. The simplest thing I learned years ago is I use delay delivery. So anything that I respond to out of normal office hours, just because I had the time or I wanted to, I have that email send the next morning during normal business hours, and that way I am not. Implying to someone that you know they have to reply me to reply to me. There's also some conditioning and training if you're in client service or otherwise. Hey, 
I got your note. Like it's I, I, it's late at night. I, I'll get back to you in the morning during normal business hours, you know, or or or, or something like that. Because otherwise, you start training people that you're gonna reply all the time. But it's incumbent upon the leaders to not send all those emails after hours or use delayed delivery or try to not make it think like you're looking for a reply then. I remember it was my first 90 days with the company. And my partner Jay said, I refuse to train the world that I am responsive to the channel of email. Yeah. <laughs> and I asked him what he meant by that. And he said, every time somebody sends me an email, if I reply quickly, I train that I'm, the res- that I'm responsive to email. And most people feel like they have to respond quickly, that people are waiting for their responses. Nobody has ever set that expectation. It's a story that they have told and reinforced themselves. Yeah. Plus people learn, right? Sometimes we would say responding quickly to say that you can't respond is helpful. So if you send emails at eight o'clock at night, you know, four times and the response you get every time was, saw your note, I'll reply to it tomorrow during work hours. Like, <laughs> so the person's going to get the hint, you know, uh, yeah. eventually after that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the thing that I like about what you said, Robert, you as the leader, you set the tone and you cast a shadow. To, as the leader, first and foremost, set the tone. If I email you outside of normal business hours, my expectation is not that you reply immediately. If I really need you, I'm probably going to call you or text you. Right. Right? And to then take it upon yourself to try to... I love the idea of delayed delivery. I had never done that personally. I love that idea. By the way, there's a great side effect to this if you're an employee, right? You work on a bunch of emails on Saturday. You set them all up at six thirty, six thirty-five, six forty Monday morning. You know, you just you look like you, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You look like a productive beast on Monday morning. It's it's, it's, a, it's a great it's a great hidden tactic. Talk to me about how you started to transition from work back to personal time because this is something that I personally have struggled with, and I'm I've been constantly testing what yeah. I can do differently. So that I can get out of business mode and into family mode, which is a whole different year. I, I noticed this before COVID, and then it was really like exhausting me. Um, and so I I just stopped scheduling our dinners usually six, six thirty. I just stopped scheduling anything after five thirty. And I and I would put some time in there. Oh, that I'm gonna meditate then. I'm gonna go take the dog for a walk during COVID. Everyone wanted to walk the dog. I'm gonna go for a bike ride. Like I I just I I put something in there. I'll even just Go for a walk and listen to a podcast. You know, j- jump on the treadmill, turn on the TV. Something as a separator. I, I almost never walk from a Zoom call or a meeting into into dinner directly anymore, unless there's it just could be avoided. And and I just noticed a huge change from from changing that behavior. And that's what we stopped having in our lives was that fifteen to thirty minute plus yeah. commute. Tur- we don't want to be stuck in traffic or on the train, but it turns out we actually liked the time. Probably those who were on public transportation liked it more because they weren't, you know, it, it was long, but they weren't in anything active. Yeah. So I guess the question for you who's listening to this is one, how are you doing transitioning from work back to actually your personal life? And if you have opportunities for improvement there, what can you do to actually have some transition? So Robert, based on the conversations you're having with with different companies, what do you think the future is going to look like when it comes to work? Yeah, I, I think if there's one thing that's come out of the, the the pandemic and a lot of the great resignation going on right now is that is that people want more flexibility. I think they saw that they could get 
results. They could get things done during the pandemic. The sky didn't fall apart. And so some of the requests to come back in the office that can't be done otherwise feel a little bit hollow. Um, I think they also enjoyed that time with their kids. They enjoyed not commuting. And so while I do think there'll be a range, uh, I don't I don't think we're going back to how it was before. And I, I and I think that, you know, yes, there are certain types of businesses that are delivering a service or teamwork or otherwise, but to all I think that happened is we took trends that were happening already and pushed them five years forward. And 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 it's rare that we actually, you know, go back. So I think someone adopting a universal approach of there is no flexibility in our work environment. It's it it's sort of all or nothing in the office. I, I just think you're going to run. Mark Cuban's been saying this a lot with respect to uh, cryptocurrency. You know, supply and demand are undefeated. <laughs> and I, I think that particularly, yeah, younger workers in an urban city who live in apartments probably are happy going into the office, but. You know, those more senior level employees who live in the suburbs and stuff, if you want to start, you know, restricting, you know, demand or or saying, look, we're not going to offer something that a lot of the market really looks for in a very competitive marketplace, I I just don't see how you're not going to be at some disadvantage. I'm I'm okay with the companies that say, look, we're primarily going to be at work and all this stuff. But, you know, for Goldman Sachs CEO to come out and say this is an aberration that we're hoping to fix as soon as possible, and then they announce record revenue and earnings while everyone was working from home two weeks later. Like, if I'm the analyst working ninety hours a week, I'm I, I'm I'm thinking that that's pretty disingenuous, <laughs> and and maybe he's more concerned with all the millions of dollars of office leases that 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 we signed. Yeah, if you don't think a progressive bank is going to come out and say, look, if you want to work ninety hours a week, we're going to let you. Do that where you want it. And, and look, it's an interesting discussion. Like my publisher, my book, source books, like they were always very in person, no remote. And then the pandemic hit. And I think they looked at it and they said, look, there are certain things like when we're deciding on if we're buying a book, we're having a team meeting, like we need that to be in person. And that's a really important dialogue. But when one of the editors has to sit down and edit the book all day long, do they really need to go into the office to close their door and not be distracted and do that? Like it just, to have no flexibility in, in in your system just seems to be out of line with with reality these days. So you're thinking the future of work is more around the hybrid model, if not fully remote. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying offices are going to go away. I think there's a place for them. I, I think that there is going to be a demand for more flexibility in all types of uh, work environments. Um, so so I, I think you're just going to see more employees looking for that. And therefore, more companies offering it. And then it becomes a little bit of a, a, a circle there. There you go. Robert, where can people learn more about you and your book? Uh, sure. They could find my book, um, some of speaking podcast information at robertglazer.com. Perfect. And the book is called How to Thrive in the Virtual Workplace. So you can pick up, I'm assuming, Amazon also. Uh, Amazon, wherever books are sold at this current moment, which I'm sure changes. But uh, yes, you'll have no problem finding it uh, online uh, via Audible. And on the website too, I actually have a... If you don't want to read the book, I have a a one-hour course that basically walks you through the whole book. Love it. All right, man. Well, thanks so much for investing your time with us. Thanks, Jeff. Well, there you have it, our conversation with Robert Glazer, author of How to Thrive in the Virtual Workplace. You can check him out at robertglazer.com, and we will link to that in the description of the show as well. Here's the 20% that really stands out to me. One, if you're a leader in an organization, declare what your strategy is going to be. Are you going all back to the office? 
Are you going fully virtual or are you doing a hybrid? Make the declaration. Two, clarify what that means. What specifically does this mean? And ask the question, how could this fail? Start to point out the various things that you would need to have in place. Like, are we going to allow people to work from anywhere? What are our expectations around when people should be available to work? What are our expectations when it comes to how we communicate with one another? How we let people know when we're available versus not available? If we are going to be virtual more often, how are we going to build culture and connection? among team members? When will we strategically come back together in person? How does that flow to our budget? These are all the questions that we have had to ask over the past year. The other things that you really need to consider are, what are the goals of the organization? What specifically does success look like for the next year? Based on that, what are the priorities that we're going to say yes to? And, and in what order of priority? Who specifically is responsible for each one? And how do we begin to have a rhythm where every week we connect one-on-one -on -one with our direct reports, where our direct reports share a vision for what they are going to accomplish this week so that they're not only on track to accomplish their monthly and annual goals, but they are delivering the piece of the overall business plan that allows the company to achieve their goals. These are all the things that we help with when we work with companies. The goals, the priorities, the strategies, how to enhance your one-on-ones. So there's more clarity and accountability. If you'd love to learn more about what that looks like, we're happy to line up a time to chat with you. Just head on over to theonething.com slash teams. Again, that's theonething.com with the number one in the URL, theonething.com slash teams. If this episode brought value to you, please think of somebody that you need to share it with. If you're new to the show, hit the subscribe button so all future episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device of choice. And please leave us a rating and review. It genuinely helps us reach more people and fulfill our purpose, which is to help you better invest your time so you can achieve extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. We look forward to being with you in the next episode.